0: So I'm here with Michel Duval and have the privilege of, of seeing you after a while. So we, haven't, we haven't seen each other for the last two years and before we used to do it at least every month because Michel Duval was my coach. In 1997 I believe we started working together and um, that made such a huge difference to my life both personally and professionally. And I think for the first few years I went in there as a business coaching but I mostly talked about personal stuff when looking back um, because that needed to change in order for me to develop my career. So I'm very happy that you're here, Michelle, and uh, now that I've you, you seen you on television in, SBS in uh, the SPS and the show The Employables. And um, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions around that. The Employables, I mean, what an experience.
1: What was it like for you? It was one of the most confronting projects that I've ever done. To realise the level of discrimination in Australia, in people in the workplace, seeking just to go to their next job, was gut-wrenching for me. And to have to then select amongst all those people, and I wanted to offer every single body a role, or at least an opportunity to be in the program and to start their business. And so it was very confronting for me to realise that we as human beings, collectively, around the world, are so prejudiced against people. And what we learnt from the program was that these people had incredible talents, incredible skills, interests, passions and so on. And they were being judged for their age or their gender or the colour of their skin or their disability or their sexuality. Just just really shocked me.
0: Mm -hmm. So that means that we live in a very competitive world, don't we? That is the reality and, and, and I, when I saw you in the employers, I have to say I was I, I was thinking this must be very really hard for Michelle because I know um, that you have a, a soft spot for people, and I think that's what attracted you to coaching to begin with. Um, am I right? That's, yes, that's, yes. That's, that's, that's
1: what I live for. People,
0: <laughs> you like that. Were you the first person to bring coaching to Australia, or or um, or close to that?
1: I was one of the first group of people. Were bringing coaching to Australia. Right. So this was in for me. I started my first business in 1997, and in those days I'd say, "Hi, I'm a coach," and people would say, "What sports team do you coach?" Yes. And there wasn't even a coach training school in Australia at the time. Okay. And so a year or so after Tony Grant at Sydney University created the first ever postgraduate degree in coaching ever in the world. So Australia was a real pioneering country, so people like him and Christine McDougall and myself and Tony Fitzgerald were some of the key people who gave birth to coaching.
0: So what was going on through your your head in those early days, I mean, bringing coaching to a, a new country? Great opportunity, but you, you would have to educate them to do that, I mean, yeah. yes.
1: I feel like i built a business and an industry simultaneously. Yes. Um, when you go to a corporation, which you know over time we built, I built contracts with Westpac and Macquarie Bank and um, a lot of other corporations, where it was just common in today's world where they have coaching panels and you know most people have access to coaching today. And um, but way back then, uh, 21 years ago, um, people didn't even know how to buy coaching. They didn't even know what it was. They didn't know all the benefits of it. And so the world's come a long way, and particularly Australia, we're we're real pioneers in the space. Yes,
0: yeah, that's that's good. Yes, I know because when we travel, sometimes um, in Spain, for example, there's a lot of people that don't they don't even know what coaching is and mm. what should, why should they do it. Mm. Um, some of them have been introduced, but right, they don't know their, their application. So 97 to 2018, it's almost
1: 30 years. Yeah. Right. Um, has your almost 20. 20. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is 20 years. <laughs> don't make me much older. <laughs> I was like, look that, <laughs> But 20 years, I mean, has has your view of coaching, what is your view of coaching and has it changed?
1: Yeah, so it's funny you should ask me that because I've been thinking a lot about coaching lately and the future of coaching yeah. and particularly how do we allow more people to have access to it? That's so right. um, Most coaches um, work with a select group of people and as a result of that, they have to support themselves. So the cost of coaching is actually quite inhibitive to a lot of people to be able to access it. So, my mission is to actually democratise coaching and make it accessible and available to pretty much anybody who has an internet connection. Yeah. And so that's where I've shifted my focus to is, is you know, I started the second business in 2002. I co developed the International MetaCoach Training System with Dr. Michael Hall and um, that business is still going today. But I travelled around for about seven or eight years, simultaneously as having my first business, which is Equilibrio. And I travelled around for seven or eight years teaching other people to be uh, life coaches, executive coaches, and business coaches. And um, it really was really wonderful that so many people could access those tools. Amongst you know the things that the International Coach Federation have been doing, and there's many, many, many other wonderful training institutes that have opened up around the world, and it's still But it bores me enormously that
0: not everybody has access to coaching. Yeah, I don't understand it. (laughs) I'm a big comfort. But in actual fact, I mean, we work in the the sphere of mental health mostly, but we work with workplaces. um, And there's a a focus in mental health always to do therapy, therapy. And and therapy can be good if you have something that you really need to investigate. But in most cases what I find is that people would benefit from clarity and uh, if anything, through our work together, one of the things that I learned is the importance of clarity. You know, knowing what you want and, and knowing how to ask for it. You know, that's that's 80% of, of the problem gone in most cases. So yeah, I'm with you in that one. The importance of coaching. Uh, what would you, if you had to say one thing that provides coaching from your angle, from your perspective, what would it be that you have seen that
1: provides people? Um, I agree with you, it helps them to have clarity, has, helps them to have uh, increased self-awareness so to be able to, to your point, understand what your goals are, what your core values are, what your life's purpose is, or a sense of mission at least, so that as you're weighing up career choices and figuring out the workplaces that you want to work in, you can actually start to seek to find alignment. And I think that um, most people live a much more meaningful life and they're much more passionate when they have a sense of their work being meaningful to them. Um, Facebook recently uh, published some research this year through Harvard Business Review and they revealed that the number one reason that people leave their job isn't what we all thought, at least at Facebook. All the research up until then had been that 78% of people, the reason that they leave their job is because of conflict between themselves and their manager, or their boss, if that's what they want to call them. And Facebook knew this, so they spent a lot of time making sure there was a good bond, a good relationship between their managers and their teams. But what they published was, the number one reason people were leaving Facebook, which is meant to be like one of the most exciting companies in the world to work yeah. for, is because people weren't motivated in the work they were doing. And wow. so they were being matched to a role that wasn't aligned with their core passions, interests, attitudes, values, and so on. And
0: But how can you do that? I mean. Uh... What do we see in Australia? Telstra just announced last week or the week before they're gonna cut 8,000 jobs over the next three years. And that's not just the only company in Australia. So, I mean, it's, it's nice this idea that I can align myself to the perfect job, and, and that would be nice. But, but the reality is that the future of work is changing. Yes. So, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think many people are very nervous about the future of work because yeah. of digitization, automation, um, all of those things. Everyone's particularly scared about artificial intelligence um, and machine learning and all of those things that will, everyone's concerned, replace their job with a robot. The reality is I believe we're a long, long way from that really affecting the number of work jobs that are available. I think the new jobs get increased um, and new types of roles are coming along. Um, So, you know, the role of a data scientist just five years ago was not really a big thing. And in today's world, data scientists, you know, are incredibly um, important in the work that we do. And there are many, many real roles that are coming up. So my belief is don't be fearful of redundancy. What's going to be made redundant isn't people, but it's actually their role and their skills. So experience and skills, what's going to be made redundant. But what's transferable or redeployable is people's attitudes. And so I've switched most of my work to really focusing on the future of work and helping people to be able to understand what are the core attitudes that they have and what roles do those attitudes support them in and what other roles could it support them in because when we look at skills and experience, you can learn that. So if your skill, your role that you're in, the skills and experiences are being made redundant, you can go and do new roles, um, yeah. but the question is, is most often people don't realise what's redeployable or what's actually transferable. And I believe the most transferable is your attitudes.
0: Yes, okay. So uh, my, my next question from, from those comments is, well, what do we say to people that say, oh my God, I'm too old to learn something new? Yeah. Um, it's usually not true that they're too old, but, but what do we say to them? Or, or people that are being made redundant, that are mostly manual.
1: They like to do
0: manual things. They don't yeah. like to learn. They don't like reading, etc. I mean what how how can they approach this?
1: Well I think fundamentally our workplaces need to shift. That's the big part of what this experiment was with the documentary, okay. The Employables was people who were being discriminated against because of their gender, their nationality, their age, etc etc. And the sad thing is that ages, is, is definitely something that um, people are discriminating against. Mm-hmm. So other parts of the world, in Europe and in the US, people are not as discriminatory on people's age. Yes. Um, in other cultures, we realise that the wisdom that goes with people as they age is something that you can't replace. More
0: training, right? Yeah, You're yeah. They're trained. Yeah. They're better trained, more experienced.
1: Yes. They've got much more emotional intelligence and all of these things. So I think um, when it comes to someone saying, I can't learn something new, Mm -hmm. as you just said, that's not true. Um, Our documentary proves that. We've got people who are older generation who are learning entrepreneurship. So when we look at the future of work, we know that those who will thrive in the future of work and all of us can become more resilient around appreciating that Mm -hmm. things rapidly changing and to become accepting and appreciating appreciating that change. Yeah. And that's where coaching is really, really helpful, right. is coaching teams, workforces, the workplace, through those things, so that becomes just the normal, rather than that being really shocking and really, really difficult for
0: people. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because that's that's what I found with coaching, um, when when we did it together, um, and, and when I've done it, because I still do that, but that idea, not just the clarity, but with clarity comes motivation, comes passion. Um, With clarity also allows you to see things that were not there before. I mean, we're always there, but... Opportunities. Opportunities, yes. Um, And that's very important, isn't it? Because sometimes we miss that.
1: Yeah, I think when we look at the future of work and we look at the work that I've been doing as a coach and the work that you do working with um, individuals and organisations, is that when people have a sense of themselves and they understand what gifts and talents they have Mm -hmm. and they also understand their own limitations that with that clarity and that passion and that interest is that you can start to chart your own path and that's what we see as the world moves towards generally becoming more entrepreneurial. Some research we came across last year that got published in 2016 studied 60 different countries and they looked at um, how people viewed the future of entrepreneurship and two-thirds of the world's population said that um, they intended to start a business in the next three years. off,
0: they don't feel secure in their job, or is it because they want, to, they want to They, want to. they, want to they want do that? To.
1: They want to take charge of their destiny, they want to have control over their future is part of it, is what I understand. So that means one billion people plan to start a business in the next um, three years. We also learned from the same research, is that um, two thirds of the population believe that a career in entrepreneurship is a good thing. So right. in the past, if I said to my parents, or somebody, my parents will not like this but others, I'm starting a business, people are like, Who are you to think you can start a business? And I saw some research just today, actually, that said that one in three people have a side hustle. And that means they're doing something on the side. Um, And that just opens up freedom, that if your role isn't giving you all the fulfillment, it's just like in life, we don't look at one aspect of our life to make us happy. We do multiple things that creates fulfillment. And so starting a side hustle is a great idea.
0: You're preaching to the converted. I love <laughs> yeah. the idea of business, of, of, of being in charge of my own destiny. But I have to say that having your own business is not, is not no. easy. I mean, if a billion people start a business, 900 will fail in the first year, 900 million will fail yes, in the first yes, year. Yeah. That's the, the data that we have. Um, yes. But um, I believe that you're doing something like uh, You've got a, a tool now, yeah. like. Um, Fingerprint for success? Is that
1: yes, right? So we, um, we completed some global research. So we, we did
0: that that tool yeah. and we found it really beneficial.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. It it's um we've really um, evolved since we worked together mm-hmm. on with fingerprint for success. So okay. we did an initial study in twenty thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> we can see how you've changed over time. Right. And with all the self awareness that you've had and some of the areas that you've focused on, it's really cool to see how it's you actually already... gone worse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I'm certain that will have and so we've, um, and then just this year, we partnered with the Startup Genome, which is a San Francisco-based research firm that looks at all the entrepreneurial ecosystems around the world. So we studied founders, thousands of them, in 55 different cities. Wow. Um, and we're looking for correlations between certain attitudes and certain outcomes. For example, um, the amount of revenue, the size of the company based on employees, the number of investment rounds that people have had and then we looked at them and benchmarked them against our data to see the mindset of different cities and different individuals. And um, so we've we've bundled all of that back into the platform and now companies are using that to be able to identify innovative and entrepreneurial talent inside an organisation and they're also able to, if they want to start their own business, you know, companies like Canva here in Australia are utilising it. EY is using it. Using it. KPMG are using it. Oh, so lots of different companies are using it to add value to their teams. Um, but importantly, like you were saying when we started, about passion and interest, and then being able to align that. So I'd like to answer the question you said about how realistic is it that yeah. you know when yeah, really. people people are becoming yeah. redundant? We've got automation, and what we know is is that in the future of work, talent ironically, um, is, is highly competing. And so, in order to attract the ultimate talent to your company, unless you are focused on creating that alignment, that talent can go somewhere else. And so, um, companies that are not focused on what do they need in the future of work, how do people move around, and the importance is is that people are aligned. We know from millennials, unless they're working in a role that has meaning for them, and they're growing in, which is the research that Facebook yeah. published they're not gonna stick around. Yeah. And so they don't have the same traditions as Gen X or, or Baby Boomers where you should just stay in the role even if you don't like it. They're walking um, and leaving. And so even though jobs are changing, um, as I was saying, new jobs are opening up. So talent is scarce to find. Really good people is actually, is, is difficult to find.
0: Yeah. Now, through the experience of the employables and through your business experience, what do you think, I mean, how do you get
1: Um, I think it's having a lot of self-awareness, so when you have a lot of self-awareness then and you also develop the confidence and the self-belief, so I think developing self-esteem and when you have that self-awareness, the two things together allow you to be able to identify what you're talented at, where you struggle and where you need help and when we know what we're talented at and we have the permission to be able to realise that, we're unstoppable. Nothing can stop us.
0: Wow, that's that's nice. What do you think of this statement? We spend too much time trying to make up for our weaknesses instead of focusing on our strengths. What do you think of that statement?
1: Yeah, I think, I definitely in my work and in the technology platform we've created Fingerprint for Success, we definitely take a strengths-based approach Mm. where we focus on and encourage people to realise and to build on their strengths. Yet there might be some vulnerabilities that we have that are really, really getting in the way. Mm. And they might be dominant things that go before us, and if it's something like that, we definitely need to explore that, understand it, work on it. Um, If there's gaps that we have and we're not brilliant at those, that's where we look at the partnership and collaboration of teams, and in the future of work, we're a collaborative society, and when we look at those things, learning how to team up is a critical skill and ability, and we don't have to be perfect, so that's where we can use the assets of a team member. So
0: another question that I have for you is, what out of the research that you 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 we're talking about what's one of the big findings or interesting findings that you can share with us?
1: Well, a lot of people were surprised by this finding, so maybe that's interesting to share, and that is that um, we found that entrepreneurs uh, have a very low focus on detail and, no. and also on procedures <laughs> yes. and also on structure. Sounds very
0: familiar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We found that a high focus on detail and a high focus on structure, which is organizing and planning and doing business plans, um, was correlated with early stage business failure. And so that's really interesting. The lack
0: of or actually doing that?
1: So if they have a high focus and they pay attention to a lot of detail. Failure. And if they also pay attention to high focus on structure, Mm -hmm. they were correlated with business failure. So that's counterintuitive because at business school and other places they're teaching people these big complex business plans and at school you're taught to be very detailed. But what we know is the research found is that successful startup founders have a very big picture, very big picture orientated. So they like abstract, big picture thinking. They just want the general overview. Mm -hmm. They don't need a lot of detail, which allows them to understand things rapidly and quickly without needing the details. And move quickly too. And to Mm -hmm. move quickly, which is critical in an early stage venture.
0: That's interesting because we have experienced the same thing, we we're, we're come in contact with a lot of professionals and those people that want to have everything perfect, they want to have the logo, the business cards, the, the product, they want to have everything in place before they start something, mm. they usually lose the race, they never get started mm. or if they start, they start too late and they're yeah. always catching up, so it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is very interesting. We also found that startup founders have a very high focus on what we call initiation, which means turning their ideas into action. So what you just described is is waiting before they take action Mm -hmm. and we found that correlated with more investment money that they can raise with bigger number of employees um and more revenue Mm -hmm. great
0: very interesting study is that going to come out in the report or yeah it's
1: already already published people can
0: actually okay where can we go they go to the
1: startup genome and they can download the report and on page 30 they'll find that part about mindset
0: Startup. Genome. So, so it sounds like you you went from an office when the first met you, you were in an office in the city um, with Equilibrium, that, that yeah. that's, that's still going yes, isn't yes, you? and you yeah. still providing coaches If yes. people wanted to Great. get a coach yes. they can go Equilibrium, Yeah, uh, and get someone um, but now you also got fingerprint for success which I from what you tell me and what I've experienced it would be perfect for HR departments to, if they're considering hiring people as well, to do an assessment of them and then you can find out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Is Is that correct? Yeah, so companies
1: are using it to identify the right fit for the role, but Mm -hmm. importantly to identify innovative entrepreneurial talent.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Well thank you very much Michelle. It's been a pleasure to talk oh, to you. Oh, it's a delight and
1: to see all catching that. Catching up with you
0: again. <laughs> it's a
1: delight to see all that you've achieved and the great work that you as a team are doing in this space. I can't I don't think there's anything more important in our world right now.
0: Well you helped us guide us in the beginning, so that was nice. My
1: pleasure.